Wow, folks. Welcome to another edition of E.W. Jackson for America. Great to be with you again today. Um, as you can see, we're having a little bit of a technical problem, but we're working on all this stuff and getting it all together. So you all bear with us and pray for us. And thank you once again for supporting us because we need your help to do all that we do. Couldn't do it without our partners. Let me say that again. Couldn't do it without our partners. You know, we, we are part of the nonprofit world. Um, I, of course, do a radio program for American Family Radio. We are in the middle of share right now. If you tune in today, uh, we will talking, be talking about what we do to try to serve our community, to serve our constituency, and people are giving. That's how that network runs. That's how it functions. And we're all over the country, but that's how it functions. Functions with the support of our partners, the prayers and contributions of our partners. Well, this studio is no different. This studio functions with the prayer and support of my partners. So thank you all. <clears throat> I want to remind you again of our Stand Awards dinner because, uh, let's see, I will not be on live with you tomorrow, but tune in because we've got something good for you. Our Stand Awards dinner, May the 16th, that's a Tuesday, May the 16th, 7 p.m. at the Tyson's Corner Marriott in Tyson's Corner, Virginia. We are honoring none other than Lieutenant Colonel Retired Alan West and former Congressman, former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman and now Dean of the Robertson School of Government at Regent University, Dr. Alveda King, the niece of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King and a pro-life leader, and Andrew Womack, the founder and president of Andrew Womack Ministries, an international ministry. All of these patriots have taken a stand for God, for this country, and for the principles that made America great. So come and help us honor them. You go to our website, standamerica.us. You can buy tickets. You can sponsor. Or you can just contribute. If you can't really do either one of them, but you just want to contribute. Speaking of contributing, my new book, Sweet Land of Liberty, Reflections of a Patriot Descended from Slaves, is available. By the way, it's available wherever books are sold. Okay, you can buy it at any bookstore. Uh, but if you want to get a 15% discount, go directly to my publisher's website. That is FaithfulText.com. FaithfulText.com. And you'll get a 15% discount if you buy the book there because obviously... Our publisher is selling it to you directly, no middleman. But if you want to support our ministry, Stan, and what we're doing, we've got a, I got a big announcement coming up too, folks. I don't know when I'm going to have it for you, but I'm believing it's going to be this week. Well, it won't be this week, but it, next week at the latest, big, big announcement. So stand by for that. I mean it. Uh, but if you want to get a free signed numbered copy of my book, all you got to do is go to our website, standamerica.us, sign up as a Patriot Partner, a Patriot Partner at $25 or more a month, and I will send you a signed, numbered copy of my book. Uh, I don't know what number I'm up to now, but uh, I'll tell you real quick so that you'll know. And, of course, I'm, I'm signing these and numbering these <coughs> on a first-come, first-served basis and uh, the next book I sign will be Patriot Partner number 71. 
71 Patriot Partners since we started this process, new Patriot Partners. By the way, we had 238 Patriot Partners when we started. Our goal is 500 this year. We're on our way. We're marching in that direction. 71 is pretty good in uh, about, is it January, February, March? Well, about two, almost three months, almost three months. So that's four, four times 70 is 280. If we maintain that pace, we would reach our goal of 500 Patriot Partners by the end of the year. And that's what we're going for. Please pray for us. Help us get there. Now, remember, you don't have to give $25 a month to be a Patriot Partner. You can give as little as five. Or actually, you can give any amount. Uh, it, you know, if you give less than that, it almost costs you as much to process it as it does to, to send the, uh, the donation in. But you can become a Patriot Partner for any amount. You won't get the book, but you will get a free T-shirt as a Patriot Partner. Uh, even if you sign up for five, five bucks a month, we'll send you something. We'll send you a gift uh, in honor of uh, and in gratitude of your becoming a Patriot Partner with us. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. You know, today, folks, I want to talk to you about, about something that the Lord has really been laying on my heart lately with regard to what's happening in our country. You know, we used to, up, of course, leading up to the Civil War, as you know, the division became more and more and more stark over really two issues. People think it was just one, but it wasn't one issue. It was two issues. Slavery, of course, was the preeminent issue because it's the issue that brought the other to bold relief, to, 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 into stark in your face reality. And it's this, is America an indissoluble union or, or are we a voluntary assemblage of sovereign states? And that may not seem important here in 2023, but folks, for the first almost 100 years of our existence, that was not a settled question. That's why I say, you know, it's so important to, to, to learn about our history because people just mess it up and just, frankly, pervert it and make it say things it doesn't say. What I'm saying to you right now, for example, states' rights, people say, well, that, just, well, that was just a racist ploy to try to justify slavery. That's not true. I'm not saying people didn't use it to try to justify <clears throat> their right to maintain slavery. I'm not saying that. I'm saying states' rights was a separate and distinct issue that had nothing to do with slavery. Now, it might have been brought over and used that way, but it was really an issue of the fundamental nature of our union, and that issue had not been settled. Andrew Jackson... President Andrew Jackson ran into trouble with South Carolina over tariffs that he passed, which the South Carolinians believed affected them more than any other state because, of course, they were exporting a lot of goods and they thought it was going to, to, to damage the, their ability to do their exports and to make the money that they were making. And they really got very angry over tariffs and threatened to secede from the Union and, of course, believed that there were other states that they would carry with them. It had nothing to do with slavery. It had to do with tariffs. 
Andrew Jackson threatened to march into South Carolina with troops if they dared. Andrew Jackson was nobody to trifle with, whatever people may think of him as a president, and he certainly has got a mixed. <laughs> he was a character. But I'll tell you what, he was a character that people feared because they knew he did not play, and, and he did not hesitate to use violence. And, I mean, in some ways that, that both, it makes him a very interesting president, but also it, it makes him one of our uglier presidents in some ways because he was just really a brute of a man uh, in terms of the way he responded to people. And there was no, no graciousness about him. If you, if you wronged him or you insulted him, he didn't have a problem with meeting you at a duel. And um, I, I, I know he had one shootout on the streets, and, and I think he, he, um, he had a second duel as well. But, of course, he became known for the Battle of New Orleans where he... <coughs> essentially, really contrary to the wishes of, I think, James, Ma James Madison, who was president at the time, just basically took New Orleans and took part of Florida and, and thumbed his nose at the president because he said, well, that was what he, he, he thought he needed to do. I mean, he and opportunities to apologize and to have rapprochement. At any rate, I don't want to get off one, Andrew Jackson, I think he had some very, very admirable qualities, by the way, and I think he had some very, very questionable qualities as well. My point is, he was president when South Carolina threatened to secede over tariffs, and he made clear that if they tried to do that, he was going to bring the full force of the federal government down upon them, and he did not mean um, economic sanctions. He meant he, they were going to march into South Carolina and hang the people who were responsible. I said all that simply to say that you see this idea that the Civil War was fought only over slavery is just not true. It was also fought over this unsettled question, can we states do whatever we want to do and if the federal government won't let us do it, can we just leave? By the way, it's not the, that, that was the second time it came up. The first time it came up was in New England. Um, I'm not sure whether Madison or Monroe were, was president at the time. I'll double check that. But this was the issue. Uh, they were boycotting British goods. Well, the New Englanders relied very, once again, trade issue. The New Englanders relied very, very heavily on their trade with the British. And when the president implemented a boycott to punish the British, because, you know, they were doing things like impressment, they said they were still practicing slavery because they were basically, if they caught a, a civilian ship on the high seas, they would take men, American men, and put them in their Navy by force. They were called it impressment. It was, it was basically just kidnapping and enslavement. And... I'm amazed that American presidents and the American people put up with it as long as they did. I mean, it's part of what precipitated the War of 1812. In fact, I would argue it probably is the single biggest thing that precipitated the War of 1812 because um, that was the issue that they could not get Britain to back off on, impressment. Well, the New Englanders threatened secession. Some of the New England states says, we, we, we can't survive with a boycott like that. 
Now, it didn't go very far, but the threat was made. And that had nothing to do with slavery because slavery was all but over by that time in, in the New England states. It had to do with their economic well-being as they perceived it and whether they had the right, when the federal government was going in a direction that they didn't agree with, whether they had the right to say, you know what, I'm out. Well, now, so when the slavery issue comes along, you've got this underlying issue of, well, can states just leave? And many people feeling, not only in the South, but apparently, as you see, even in New England, felt, well, we don't like what they're doing. We just leave. And, of course, Abraham Lincoln, although a very different kind of president, took the same view that Andrew Jackson took. No, you're in and you can't leave. Well, obviously, the southern states saw it differently. Civil War. Now, I, I said all that to point out that when we don't have an understanding of history, we tend to compress things into our own little narrative, the narrative that kind of fits our perception or fits our ideology or what we want. That's what the left does. What, what we want people to think. Okay? That, that's, that's the way this works out. So when I say, no, it was about not, not just slavery, it was also about states' rights. It was about whether we are, in fact, an indissoluble union or whether states can come and go as they please. In other words, if they decide they don't like it, they can just leave. The Civil War settled that issue. No, states can't just leave. They can't. We are, indeed, as a practical matter, an indissoluble union. People can theorize all they want, but that issue was settled by the Civil War. So the Civil War not only set, settled the issue of slavery, it also settled the issue of the indissoluble nature of our union. And believe me, that was a big issue. Maybe not as big as slavery, and certainly not as, as um, shall we say, as dramatic and as, as riveting as the issue of slavery, because obviously slavery is a very emotional, the theoretical constitutional question of secession uh, in and of itself is kind of, you know, that's kind of an intellectual discussion. But those two came together with explosive consequences. Both of those issues got settled by the Civil War. Now, here's what I am getting to. I said, we have not, I began this talk by saying, we have not seen the kind of division, I was alluding to this anyway, the kind of division that we are seeing now since the Civil War. I don't think that's an exaggeration at all. Um, and, and this is the point that I was about to make. It is one thing to have a disagreement on policy among people, all of whom love this country, are loyal to it, and dedicated to it, and want the best for it. Let me say that again. It is one thing to have disagreements between 
two sets of people, or multiple sets of people for that matter, all of whom love the country and want the very best for it, but disagree on what that looks like. It is quite another thing to have a disagreement between people, some of whom love the country, want what is best for it, and as a result are called by another group, Christian nationalists, fascists, white supremacists, racists, and have the other group saying, this country is horrible. It is bad. It is inherently evil. It, it does not deserve to continue as it has. It needs to be dismantled. It needs to be brought down. It needs to be dropped several notches. Maybe destroyed and rebuilt from the ashes into something that we can give our loyalty to, give our fealty to, have affection and love for. But for this country, the United States of America, we don't. See, I really believe that's where we are. During the Civil War, it became a debate between two groups of people leading up to the Civil War, two groups of people. One group wanted to maintain the Union. In fact, was even willing to maintain the Union, the union by compromising on the issue of slavery. And another group that decided, you know what? We don't want to be a part of it anymore. We don't believe in it anymore. We don't want to, we don't, we don't, we don't have any affection for it anymore. We don't have any love for it anymore. We want to take old glory down, which you see sitting over my shoulder. We want to take that down. We want to put up something else. We don't like that country. We're going to be a separate country. See, in one case where you've got a bunch of patriots, a bunch of people who love the country, debating over what the best policies are to perpetuate the blessings of liberty, what the best policies are to continue to, to, to promote upward mobility on the part of all of our citizens, what the best policies are to bring us together as a nation so that we can function in the modern world and maintain the level of influence that we have in the world for our safety, frankly, and for the betterment of mankind. But that's not what we've got anymore. I think we've had that at times in our history, but that's not what we've got now. Now, what am I getting to? The leaks of these Pentagon documents, and I have to say, based upon the level of hysteria, really, around it, and the, the, the apparent level of, of consternation, angst, concern, this is serious. What happened is very, very serious. We don't know all the documents that were leaked because we have not had access to them. But apparently it's thousands of documents, some of which have extremely sensitive materials. And you and I don't know what they are. But when I see Admiral Kirby 
ask what the implications of this are and how far reaching this is. And I hear him say, I don't know. That tells me he probably does know and it's not good. This is what you get to me because whoever did that committed an act of treason. That person's a traitor. But see, this is what you get <coughs> when you have people who don't like the country, don't believe in the country, don't want the country to prosper, don't, don't want the country to be preeminent in the world. They want to bring America down, and they think that they're doing the world a favor by undermining our strength, uh, undermining our military, undermining our national security. They think they're doing the world a favor because they think the world hates America like they do. See, that's where this kind of leak comes from. And the Democrat Party and the left are promoting that attitude. I mean, how many times have you heard Joe Biden say, well, we've never lived up to, we've never, we've never, <clears throat> well, I, I mean, I know that. Well, there's a whole lot of good stuff we've done. You don't hear him talk about that. You didn't hear Barack Obama talk about that. You don't hear John Kerry talk about that. You don't hear any prominent Democrat talking about how wonderful America is and what America's done. No, they're too busy trying to be like Fidel Castro. They're too busy trying to be like Maduro or, or like Hugo Chavez or like Mao Zedong or, or Vladimir Lenin or, or Joseph Stalin. They're too busy trying to impose their will on the American people uh, and their, their own perverse vision of what America should be, trying to impose that on us because they don't like our country. They don't like it. They think it's got to be something very different than what it is. And of course, with them in power. And when you've got people who hate the country that much, they're going to produce and engender and influence people to sell the country out. Now, you know, you confront them, they might say, oh, no, that, I would, that's not what I've, but that's exactly what they're doing. They're influencing people to sell the country out. They would rather see China preeminent in the world or Russia, anybody but us, because we're so bad. And anytime we take steps of any kind to protect our country, to protect our people, to protect our way of life. We're racist, we're white supremacists, we're xenophobes, we're haters, we're bigots, we're Islamophobes, you name it. Here come all the, the, the here comes all the name calling down the pike dumped on us in a deluge, a, deluge, a deluge. because they fundamentally hate this country. Now, there are a lot of reasons why they hate it, but let me give you the bottom line reason why they hate America. 
okay? Uh, we, could, we could tease this out and get into the details and, and get into the weeds on this, but let me give you the fundamental issue of why they hate America. They hate America because we're a godly country. They hate America because we're a, we are a Judeo-Christian-based nation. That's what they hate. Because it's, all, it's in their way. They want a nation without any moral guidelines. They want a nation other than the ones that they come up with, which is, you know, climate change and this kind of thing. But they want a nation without any moral guidelines when it comes to what God would say is right and wrong. You see them, look, you see their prosecutors, their George Soros prosecutors, what do they do with violent criminals? Let them back out on the street. Why? No big deal. See, that, that does not offend their moral sensibilities. What offends their moral sensibilities is that you would lock somebody up for committing a crime because, after all, the only reason why they commit the crime is because, <coughs> excuse me, an unjust capitalist system has caused them to do that. So as a practical matter, we can't have people taking everything, but as long as they don't steal more than $1,000 from a store, we, we won't. In, in, on, in, one city, in one sitting, by the way. In one transaction. You can come back next week and steal another 1000 But as long as you don't steal more, more than 1000 at one time, no big deal. Come across our borders, you don't, we don't care. America's not, the, the cultural hegemony of America is not worth preserving. It's all messed up anyway. Let's let other people in. Maybe they'll reward the Democrat Party and reward the left for having done so. And ultimately, when they become, because they have, this is what they're thinking, when they become citizens, they'll help us to get and keep power as a one-party state that can rule over this country and take it wherever we want it to go. Did you hear AOC say the other day that the Biden administration should ignore a court ruling about, what is it, um, Mephistosone, Mephistosone, forgive me, but, you know, the, the, the abortion pill. They should just ignore a court ruling over that. Not appeal it, ignore it. Because they're lawless. They, they just they don't believe in the nature of our system. She comes up with these are appoint, these are our right wing appointed judges. Well, what about all these left wing appointed judges? You've heard me say a judge ought to follow the law, the facts and the law, the facts and the law, the facts and the law, not Bishop Jackson's ideology, but the facts and the law and the Constitution of the United States. Be governed by that. I mean, yeah, court judges do make mistakes. Judges do make errors. I said Obergefell, this whole thing of making marriage between two men and two women uh, some kind of legal institution. It's a joke. It's a fiction. But our, in our system, <coughs> we've got to abide by it until we change that. We need a constitutional amendment to define marriage as a union between one man and one woman, to tell you the truth because that's the only way we can take it out of the hands of the courts, and we need to take it out of the hands of the courts. They shouldn't, they shouldn't have anything to say about that because that was not a legal ruling. That was a cultural ruling. They were trying to change the culture of the United States of America, and frankly, they got it done. 
and it's going to take a constitutional amendment to get it back because all of this craziness, this transgender and sexual perversion, all the pushing stuff on children, the drag queens, all this stuff grows out of that. Once that, once we jumped onto that slippery slope, and they, you know, we always say, oh, no, there's no, there's no slippery slope, there's no slippery slope. But once we jumped onto that slippery slope, we've been sliding into the abyss ever since. And frankly, our political garments are greasy with the slime of the slippery slope. So they can get it wrong. But our answer is not to tell our institutions, ignore the court's ruling. Our answer is to override that ruling legally. Our answer is to do something about it. Not to go shoot a judge, not to go intimidate their family, but to take the mechanisms at our disposal, take action as we the people. And that issue can be settled once and for all. Once there's a constitutional amendment, that's it. Now, see, see, here's the thing. People can live any way they want. But what they can't do is sue you for not using the right pronoun or get you fired from your job for not using the right pronoun if once you have a constitutional amendment that makes clear that marriage is a union between one man and one woman and that there are only two genders for purposes of the law, male and female. People can live whatever they want. They can call themselves a two-headed mouse uh, with, with five cattails. I mean, they can, whatever they call themselves, and do, they rename themselves, whatever they want. They can call themselves Tom and Jerry. I don't know. But what they can't do is sue you for not going along with it. What they can't do is put you out of business because you won't bake their so-called gay wedding cake. That's what it's going to take, folks, to get this out of the realm of debate. I mean, to just get it off the table. And then people can go live their lives and leave everybody else alone as opposed to using the courts and using the legal system to try to beat browbeat everybody into submission because that's what they're using it for. So yeah, the Supreme Court was just as wrong as two left feet. But that those are institutions. They've got to be respected and we've got to deal with that through the appropriate constitutional mechanisms that our founding fathers bequeathed us. And it's available. It's just that nobody's talking about it. Because it's tough. Oh my goodness, folks. I, I, wow, I'm out of time. But look, I gave you a big problem, which is the division is no longer between two groups of people who love the country, want the best for it, and simply have different pres prescriptions for how best to get there. Now you've got one group of people who loves the country, wants the best for it, wants us to be a shining city on a hill, wants us to be a great nation, wants us to be preeminent in the world, sees us as a force for good, and another group of people who hate the country, think it's a horrible place, racist, sexist, and, and, and it needs to be brought down. And then maybe, maybe you can rebuild it from the ashes. You can't reconcile those two folks. They've got to be defeated. And we've got to defeat them with all the peaceful mechanisms at our disposal. And that's what we're going to do, by the way. That is what we're going to do. 150 years ago, we resolved these things with the Civil War. 
and lost over 600,000 Americans to brutal conflict, not to mention all of those who were severely wounded, disabled for the rest of their lives. We are in a war right now, there's no question about it, but it is a spiritual and cultural and political and legal war and we can win it on those grounds because the spirit is first. We can win this thing in the spirit and the rest will follow. That's what we've got to do, folks. That's what we've got to do. Because otherwise, as you can see from these leaks, these Pentagon leaks, these people will subvert our country from within and destroy it from within. That's what Abraham Lincoln said, that if America is ever to be destroyed, <coughs> he said it won't be destroyed from without, <coughs> but from within. And we're not going to let that happen. So you stand up, you step up, you speak up, you refuse to back up because we cannot be defeated if we will not quit. Because we are on God's side.